Hey, before you start today's episode, I just wanted to jump on in and tell you about something so very exciting. I am holding my first ever summit. The Rise Above Summit is going to be on the 20th and the 21st of March and the tickets to it are free. All you have to do is register at theriseabovesummit.com. Now, I have pulled together the most phenomenal lineup for you. Honestly, it's like a who's who of the online world. So if you have an online business that you want to grow, so you're either a course creator, a membership owner, or a coach and do offer group programs, then this is definitely the summit for you. You are going to learn everything you need to know from the best experts out there in terms of growing that business. Let me just give you a little rundown of some of the speakers that we've got speaking. We've got the amazing Amy Porterfield, who's going to be sharing with us about growing her audience and basically creating a million dollar online business. We've got the phenomenal Michael Hyatt, who is a New York Times bestselling author, who's going to be talking to us about getting organized in our business. We've got Mike from the Membership Guys, who's going to be talking about using free content to sell your online membership. We've got Lucy Street from Adobe Express sharing the secret source of social media. We've got Graham Cochran, who's talking about a million dollar life giving business formula. And I do an amazing interview with him. We have Adrian Salisbury talking about three keys to maximizing your on camera presence. We have Kirsten Miller, Mary Hyatt, Joy Ann Boyce. Uh, we have Fifi Mason, Robin Kennedy. We have Kylie Lang, Melanie Moore, Jen Lena, Natalie Bullen, Liz Mosley. Like the list goes on and on and on. We honestly have the most phenomenal people. We also have various different activities that you can take part in that go from meditation to tapping to doing marketing in 10 minutes. So we've got lots of fun things and there's also competitions to get amazing swag. So go and check out theriseabovesummit.com. It will be linked in the show notes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Go and find it in my social media. Get your free ticket. And after you get your free ticket, you will be given the opportunity to upgrade to our VIP pass. And our VIP pass means that you can watch any of these sessions whenever you want. Because the one thing about putting on such an amazing summit with such a big and amazing lineup is that we can't fit them all in two days. And in order to fit them in, we're doing tracks. So you will get to pick between three different speakers of which one to watch live. And unless you've got the VIP passed, you won't be able to watch the speakers that you've missed. So do check that out as well. It's honestly going to be amazing. I am so very excited about it and I can't wait to see you there. I had the skills to do this. And I think that's a big problem today in entrepreneurship. Because I'm with you now. I actually don't run brick and mortar anymore. I'm with you. I'm in the vaporware business, yeah. I call it. Like, <laughs> we sell vaporware. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're in the services teaching uh, business, which has a high value, but it doesn't have as much tangibility, no. obviously, as that business. But it, <laughs> but I will say, like, I'm so glad that I got my feet completely wet yeah. in the tangible business because it allows me now to in the intangible business to structure my value even more. And I think that these are all benefits of doing things you didn't expect. Like you learn so much from the things you shouldn't do. And I I, I gotta say, like looking back, would I ever start another brick and mortar business again? Hell no. You are listening to Your Dream Business Podcast, episode 244. You are listening to your dream business podcast and I am your host, Teresa Heathwaring. If you are a business owner who is striving to build a business and a life that you dream of on your own terms and doing something that you love, then this is the podcast for you. Each week, I will share with you business, marketing and mindset tools and strategies that I have used to start and grow my own dream business, as well as the dream businesses of hundreds of business owners from around the world. So if you're ready, let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. How are you doing? Did you catch last week's episode? If not, pause this, go back, listen to it. It's a really good one. It was a behind the scenes of the types of questions I get asked on a coaching call. And it was a very authentic and I guess a little bit vulnerable sort of open up into my world just because my members who are on that call or who are in the clips I know them really well. I make a real effort to 
get to know my members, to get to understand what their businesses are, regardless of how many members I've got. If you're sat on a call with me or you're coming on a QA and a with me, then I want to know as much as I can to get to know you to make sure I give you the right information or advice or strategy. So like I said, it was a little bit kind of vulnerable, but it was great. It was really, really good. And if you caught that episode and you like the idea of joining me for a coaching call or coming on and having a Q&A with me, then do please check out the club at tereseithwearing.com forward slash the club. Okay, this week we have a really good interview for you. So I was listening to Rachel Rogers' podcast and Jennifer Kem was one of the guests. And as you'll hear me say to her at the beginning of this interview, the interview was one of those ones that you're like, oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. And like, I actually physically took things away, wrote them down, like put some things into action, did her lead magnet and all that jazz. And it was really, really good. But I loved her story. There was just so much to the interview. So I reached out and very kindly, she agreed to come on the podcast, which is awesome. So in this interview, we talk about loads of different things. She tells about her story, which is fascinating in terms of like some of the early businesses that she had. We then talk about branding and micro branding and how we stand out in a very busy world where anyone can go online. We talk about how we can create a brand that represents us and reflects us and attracts the right people. But she was so good fun to talk to. It's a really good interview and I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, here is the lovely Jen. So I am very excited to welcome to the podcast today, Jennifer Kemp. Jen, how are you doing? I'm so excited to be here, Teresa. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. So I was listening to Rachel Rogers' podcast from uh, Hello7 and she had you on and oh my word, I just loved it. Like the episode was so good. Your stories are amazing and so many good points left from the podcast, which sometimes like podcasts are great to listen to, but you don't always walk away with something that you think, I need to do that. That needs to change. And it was brilliant. So I knew I just had to have you on. I knew my audience would love you. Oh, that's great. We always start the same way by you sharing with us how you got to do what you do today. Oh, now that's a long winding yarn. So I'll try to give the summary, but with enough juice to get you all uh, enough to help you see where I've been. I Again, my name is Jennifer Kem, and most people call me Jen Kem. So either way, I'll respond. But if you call me Jennifer, I'll think we're not friends yet. So I hope um, you'll call me Jen. And I have been doing entrepreneurship and running my own company, actually plural companies, for over 15 years. In fact, December 1st, 2021 is my 15-year business anniversary. And I didn't start as an entrepreneur. In fact, I didn't have any idea I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I spent almost the same amount of time uh, as a marketing executive for big companies. In fact, my last job was a VP of marketing for the West Coast for Verizon, which is a Fortune 50 company. Mm. And part of the reason I left, it's a big reason I left, actually it's the only reason I left, is because I was passed up for a promotion that I had been promised. And at that time, being a mother to two young daughters and sacrificing a lot to climb the corporate ladder and then be told that my job was going to be given to my white male counterpart, who, by the way, I always tell people, I have nothing against Nick. His name is Nick, and he's happy for me to name him. It wasn't his fault that he got promoted. It was the system. And I realized that the system wasn't set up for somebody who would look like me, who was me, to be treated in a in a just and equitable way. And so I needed to make a decision to either chart my own path and create the autonomy that I wanted, especially for the future I wanted to have, especially for the future I wanted to have with my kids, or stay within the same system and eventually become a CMO and then maybe a CEO of a high-tech company. But it was a big crossroads for me. And this was, again, 15 years ago to at the time of this recording yesterday. It was my 15-year business anniversary. And and I don't regret a damn thing. (laughs) Like I like to tell people I'm not a spring chicken. I'm a seasoned chicken. Uh, And because my background in corporate, in marketing and bringing brands to market, 
I was able to translate that to entrepreneurs because I feel like entrepreneurs, especially women, don't have the same tools that big businesses have, obviously, Mm. the resources. But part of that is I, I like to remind people that every single brand and big business that we admire and we purchase from today started where we did Mm. in, you know, in a garage across a dining room table Mm. at a restaurant, talking a friend's ear off about their big dreams and desires to change something that didn't work in their lives. And it's just so happens that Sarah Blakely or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, they decided to bring it to another level. They mm-hmm. decided that they wanted to create something really big. I think for most of the people probably listen to your podcast, that may not be the vision you have, which is absolutely brilliant. That's awesome. Maybe you're more interested in building something more of a lifestyle, aka or freedom-based type of business, but that's perfect. That's the, that's the, that's, that's good. Mm-hmm. It's knowing that that is the most important part. And for me, I think what's missing in this industry is that the same basics and foundations that apply to big corporations actually do apply to entrepreneurs. Mm. But we're so angry or resentful of the the man or the system that we forget that the same business rules apply. And that's what's made those brands so successful. And so many of the brands, frankly, that I've been able to advise in the entrepreneur space is the same thing that I advise them to. So back to your first question, like, where do I come from? Ultimately, I came from the corporate world. I translated Mm -hmm. that to make it easy for entrepreneurs to access the same. And I have three kids. I have a 25-year-old now. She's a grown woman, (laughs) a 21-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so I'm busy and live in the San Francisco Bay Area doing what I do. So that's a little bit about me. No, that's awesome. And I think you're right. I think because my background is marketing. I came from corporate. I worked Land Rover and worked at big brands. And even I... When I came into my own world, even I forgot that some of those things still stand. Like, yeah, and how important it is to look at the brand and go into it. And I think often when people are starting, I think they just think it's just not for them, isn't it? It's it's only for the big brands. It's only for those people that need to consider and take that much interest in creating a brand. And so, how did you? Well, what was the first role you did when you left uh, the corporate job? What did you end up doing immediately? Well, the funny thing is, is that, uh, again, long winding yard, but I made a mistake, but also I don't believe in mistakes. No. I thought in order to be an entrepreneur, I needed to do something radically different than what I was doing in the corporate world in order for me to be a bona fide, legitimate entrepreneur. Yeah. And that just goes to show that even as a corporate executive who earned $400,000 a year and was known as a pretty smart person uh, and, and led huge initiatives... That as an entrepreneur, again, I like what you said, but you almost forget, yeah. like you think you have to be this completely different thing in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I learned that that's not true. So to answer your question directly, I started a brick and mortar business and in underwear. So women's underwear. And the reason for that is because one of my gifts is I can smell the money. And the reason I can smell the money in a brand or a business is because I know where the market needs something and I know how to create something that will fill that need. And that's what I did in the corporate world. So what I noticed, I was traveling to Dallas from Hawaii because my base was in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So not a bad deal, right? I, I, I lived in Hawaii, but I was, I was traveling to Dallas where Verizon's corporate headquarters were like every three to four weeks, which was brutal, brutal. It's like a seven hour flight. Yeah. And I, I had young girls at the time, young daughters. And anyway, every time I would fly back to Hawaii, every three to four weeks, I would notice that the women on the plane would exit the plane and have a carry-on that looked like a pink bag. And it said Victoria's Secret on the side of it. And I realized you had to get on a plane to get underwear if you lived in Hawaii. Because the only place you could buy underwear was Walmart, which I don't buy underwear at Walmart. No. I don't know about you, but that's just the place that I wanted to go buy underwear. And I immediately said, oh, gosh, if I want to leave my job, I need to pick something that I know will make money. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any background in 
retail or underwear, except for the fact that I love to shop and I wore underwear, but I, but I knew what my gifts were. And I said, I can turn this into a brand and, and, and bring it to market. And that's what I did. I, I made a nine month plan to exit my job. I took half of my paycheck and I remortgaged my house and I started an underwear company. Oh my God. And because I knew, I know it's crazy. So I got to tell you, Teresa, I wasn't interested in making it a global brand. Yeah. I just thought, okay, I can, if I can establish a multi-operation here locally, that's enough money and, and, and autonomy for me. Right. And what happened was because I am so good, I have a super sniffer around the money just started like getting crazy. I opened their first shop within 24 hours, everything, the shop was stripped down to its bare bones. I had sold out everything. And so I had to figure out, I know wild, right? And I, I realized, oh my gosh, I got to get good at operations because I was always good at growing the brand. But mm-hmm. in terms of the back end, that wasn't a strong thing for me. I was at a team mm-hmm. and we were an entrepreneur. No. You don't have a team, right? When you first start out, you know, in the corporate world, that's one of the luxuries. Yeah. Actually, I think people don't, uh, they don't appreciate it until it's gone, right? To have a team around you to support yeah. getting things done. Mm-hmm. And so I had to quickly figure out not just like how to manage inventory, how to order things ahead of time, how to figure out like 90 day cash flows, things like that. And so let's just fast forward 18 months into the business of that underwear business. I had turned it already into a $10 million business. Oh my word. Like, I know. Can you, like, like leaving corporate and starting a business is one thing. Starting a business where it's yeah. a product and it's bricks and mortar, that just, that, see, that feels like a real business to me. And I feel like what I do, it's a bit, <laughs> bit like a bit of a pretend business, but to turn it yeah. in that speed at that amount of money, like, were you there going, was there a case of, I know I can make this work. And when you got to that point, you were like, I knew I could, and I did it. Or was there a point when you got to it and was like, what on earth just happened? And how the hell am I here? No, it was the letter. It was the latter. It was exactly what you said. It was more like, I just kept addressing what needs to be get done. And I kept knowing that I was going to screw it up, but I was already committed. I think that once you commit, Mm. if you're really committed, momentum will pull you forward, even if you're not ready. In fact, none of us are ever ready for anything. And what I learned was, oh shit, I can, yeah, I can actually do this, but I didn't feel proud of it. I would say I would, I was more freaked out daily. And I felt like, honestly, my nervous system was activated Yeah, in a way that helped support what had to get done. But when I finally took a pause and a breath 18 months later, and now I had multiple stores I was opening and the media was calling me the understyler. I was getting all of this. I just, uh, to be honest with you, I did get like, wow. I can't believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that. And on one hand, it's funny because I knew I could do it. Let's put it that way because of my background. Yeah, I didn't expect for it to not just happen so quickly, but also for it to teach me so much about leadership mm-hmm. of myself, teach me about how to get humble around what I didn't know yeah. and how to go ask for it quicker because the business required me to not be scared to ask for support. So in that way, I feel grateful of the speed that happened. But I also want to acknowledge, which I can now, I couldn't at the time, but I can acknowledge now that I had the skills to do this. And I think that's a big problem today in entrepreneurship. Because I'm with you now. I actually don't run brick and mortar anymore. I'm with you. I'm in the vaporware business, I call it. Like (laughs) (laughs) we sell vaporware, Uh, you know, we're in the services, teaching, a business which has a high value, but it doesn't have as much tangibility, no. obviously, as that business. But it, <laughs> but I will say, like, I'm so glad that I got my feet completely wet yeah. in the tangible business because it allows me now to, in the intangible business, to structure my value even more. And I think that these are all benefits of doing things you didn't expect. Like you learn so much from the things you shouldn't do. And I, yeah. I, I gotta say like, looking back, would I ever start another brick and mortar business again? Hell no. <laughs> oh my God. It's so labor intensive. It's so, you're dealing with a lot of frankly, like staff that 
don't care as much because it's retail. So you have to really develop a culture around, you know, what is expected uh, in servicing clientele, especially with something so intimate, like intimates, you know, like, um, and I mean, we had, I've got stories, Teresa. Oh my gosh. Of the people who come in the store, including male clients that it was interesting. Let's put it that way. Um, (laughs) And, and I will say like, but without that experience, I wouldn't be so successful in the services world because it allowed me to understand what I didn't want to do anymore. It helped me understand how you could actually make and scale money in a different way. And it made me appreciate my skills from the corporate world a lot more. So that, that all worked out, but it wasn't easy in any way, shape or form. I don't want anybody listening right now to think, oh my gosh, She's so amazing. She's such an outlier. You're right. I am an outlier. Most people don't have the success out of the gate that I had, but it was by, it was because without mindfully knowing it, Teresa, mm-hmm. I didn't understand that the reason I was so successful was because I actually was using the skills from my corporate job. Yeah. But I didn't even put two and two together like that. Yeah. I thought I was supposed to struggle harder, but where I struggled was the back end. I didn't struggle at the stuff I was good at. Yeah. And I think if people trusted what they were good at out of the gate mm-hmm. more, they would have faster monetary success that they could turn that into something different. And so I think that's one of the biggest gaps in the current online industry, especially right now. Yeah. And that's such a good point, Jen, in terms of like leading on to where you are and what you do today and, and where you are as you help support people find that thing that they love and they're brilliant at and they enjoy, but make money from it. Because I think there is a history of, you know, especially women doing, you know, creating businesses that they love and doing things, but the money-making aspect can be a little bit tricky. So explain to us how, how that works in your world, what you do from that point of view. Yeah, I really think that, you know, what's so interesting is that just 10 years ago, that's very recent, you know, up until 10 years ago, it was really important for you to build both a product and a company. Mm-hmm. And those were those things that made consumers say, oh, they're successful. Yeah. That company's successful. That's a brand that I'm loyal to. And with the advent of social media, and it's not going away, it's only going to expand, mm-hmm. especially in the metaverse now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, whatever that is, which I'm laughing at, whatever that is, that building a personal brand is absolutely critical now. Cause it's interesting, right? If you think about it again, I mentioned at the top of this interview or this conversation that like Steve jobs, Elon Musk, yeah. Sarah Blakely, Oprah, these are personalities that are CEOs of their company. Mm-hmm. And now we have the opportunity to become what I call micro brands. Like micro brands are dominating the metaverse, mm-hmm. if you will. Like you can literally, with a Wi-Fi connection and your phone, start a business, right? Get people that like, tell your stories yeah. and offer value in the form of a service or a product or both, actually easier than you ever could before. And that's also a problem because so many people can do yeah. it what the point of differentiation is the critical factor. Yeah. And for us, you know, I, over the 15 years that I've been in business and also coming from my corporate background, I developed a method called the master brand method mm-hmm. that helps you differentiate how your personal, your offer and your company brands are different and allow you to establish that audience base. That's back to like smelling the money, being making you able to smell the own money in yeah. your industry is kind of the thing that we do. And so just to kind of review that, there are three types of brands. There are personal brands, offer brands, and company brands. And mm-hmm. in today's world and going forward, even if I think you listen to this podcast interview 10 years from now, I think yeah. it'll still be true, is that the power of the personal brand is bigger than ever. And the reason is, is because the personal brand is a human. Yeah. You know, there are three things that aren't gonna ever change going forward. Automation, artificial information and Asians. <laughs> I don't really mean it when I say Asians. I, what I mean by that is outsourcing, right? Yeah. Those are the three A's that are going to be existing no matter what. Yeah. And I'm Asian, by the way, so I can say <laughs> that. Okay, I'm Filipino. So I, we are 
what's setting us apart is our ability to create experiences and be humans, especially at post-pandemic. Again, at the time yeah. of this interview, it's, you know, we're, we're still right, yeah. in the pandemic yeah. for two years. But what sets people apart is that to show their humanity, mm. to show their, their, uh, that they are real humans. Because also in a world of deep fakes and manufactured authority and all the things that have created these crappy ass terms, I call them like imposter syndrome. Yeah. It drives me bananas. Like I'm like, you know, 10 years ago, women didn't name imposter syndrome as the thing that's keeping them like leading. But imposter syndrome is a manufactured idea to keep us thinking that we can't make it happen. That's like a to me, that's called, that's artificial intelligence. Like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? I guess. Correct. You know, we give it a name, we can call it something, we can say we've got it. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and what's really interesting, Jen, I think at the beginning, when you first start, because I have to say, I really struggled with saying I was a personal brand. It makes me feel like I'm bigging myself up. Um, sure. But I think what happens at the beginning, especially for women, is is that they, they're perhaps a little nervous to come out and go, this is who I am and this is what I stand for and this is what I like and this is what I don't like. And this is because you can't, as far as I'm aware, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but your personal brand has got to come from you and your authenticity and who you are and what you portray to the world. And I think in the early days, I think we're a bit scared to do that, do you think? I absolutely agree. I mean, I'm still scared to do it. I think that's what I want people to understand that, I don't think you ever stop being scared. I think that if you stop being scared, you're a narcissist or a sociopath. Like you've bought into the social media narcissism. Yeah. I think that the more you remember that you are truly a red-blooded human being that has feelings, has emotions, but also knows how to strategically tell stories that speak to the audience that you want to invite into your world. If you focus on that, and you think of yourself as a service-based storyteller, like that you're actually providing a service by sharing a real story about yourself mm-hmm. that will help people see that they could do it too, or they have the opportunity to change their life using your service or product. Because it's not just for services, coaching, consulting, teaching. It's not just for that those uh, that that mm-hmm. that career path. It's it's also for like if you're selling products now, micro brand, yeah. Instagram, like whether it's luggage or a new cosmetic, or you have to tell a story of why they should have that new cosmetic. Yeah, They should purchase that new cosmetic or they should buy a new piece of luggage, like the away brand, what they've been able to do is so genius. Mm. Like nobody ever thought of luggage as a big deal. You know, no. there was one brand, Samsonite, and then Toomey was the high-end brand. Yeah, And you away came in and said, no, we can simplify luggage, just like Uber simplified the mm-hmm. taxi. Yeah. Uh, service. It's like these, your opportunity to tell a story that changes people's perception of something that's not working. Like Uber, Uber was like, why do we have to depend on just taxis? Why can't we yeah. uh, get more people to earn income using their own cars? They already own cars. Why can't we mobilize that? It's that type of, if you focus more on that shift and that transformation for the problem that you see in the industry that you're, you're, you're wanting to be known for, instead of worrying so much about, will they like me? Because, you know, the more you grow, people aren't going to like you. That's the truth. I've learned that. I mean, it sucks. It doesn't feel good, but it's what it is. There's people that hate Apple. There's people that hate Spanx. There's people who hate what Elon Musk is up to. If, and I've got to tell you, I don't think it's that they don't care that people don't like them. I think they still care because they're human beings, Mm. but they've decided that what they are shifting and changing is more important, a little bit more important, not yeah. a lot more important, but a little bit more important than our fear of showing up and being scared that people won't like us, just a little bit more. And do you think that for me, I think what's happened with me is I've, I'm coming more into myself, I'm projecting more of who I am, and I'm comfortable with the fact that people won't, not everyone will like me. And I take it that, I take it from a place of that's okay. And like you said, I want to be liked, but if I show up honestly and authentically and you go, you're not my cup of tea, then 
I'm not your cup of tea and that's absolutely fine. But I think it's taken some time to get to that point. I think, and I've had people write things about me and I've had people say things and, you know, and it's not nice. It sucks. It's awful. But I think it gets to the point where you just go, do you know what? I can serve lots of people and help lots of people. And am I really going to let those handful of people that... I'm sure there's way more than a handful of people who don't like me, but that might say something, stop them from mm-hmm. showing up and doing my thing. And so, Jen, what I wanted to ask was, obviously, as as personal brands, as people showing up and doing the thing they love, I had a corporate lifetime in marketing. I have a degree in marketing. It's totally my thing. And that's now what I help people with. And then as my business has grown and I'm seven years in now, I now start to expand a bit and I can talk about other aspects of running a business and what it's like and generally supporting small businesses. But you've already said that the beauty of the world we're in now is also the curse of it in the fact of there's anyone can do it. So everyone is doing it. So how do we stand out? How do we show up so that our audience is finding us that we're getting seen by those people? Yeah, such a great question. So uh, let me give you a insight on how we, we, there are five brand differentiators, basically five things that you can do to really stand out in your brand. And I'm going to go ahead and pull up just so that obviously you can't see it on your side as you're listing, but I want to make sure that I cover every single one. Mm -hmm. We call it the unique messaging model. So it's, um, like, um, (laughs) uh, but it, it's something that we we work through with not just clients, but with people who are struggling to, to differentiate themselves. And so there are only five things, I call it five plus one things that people can do to stand out. Mm -hmm. And they are your values, your archetype, your stories, your unique solution expertise, irresistible offer. And number six is your rich niche. So basically when I said up at the top of this conversation around how I knew that there was a group of women, AKA 50% of the people who lived in Hawaii only that didn't have a place to buy underwear. I already knew I have enough people to make a successful business happen. So let's kind of, if I can go through each one of them very quickly. So your values. Now, there's a lot of people talk about values. And since you came from corporate, you know that one of the things that companies talk about are their brand values. And I think it's become so commoditized that people have lost sight of what it really means. In fact, I believe that me living my values as a leader has made me extremely successful. And I believe that if you're listening to this interview right now, if you know your values, you would make better business decisions and you'd make better life decisions. You know, since you found me on Rachel Rogers mm-hmm. podcast, who I love Rachel, uh, you know, she talks about million dollar decisions and yep, gas decisions, she does. right? Yep. So for me, I call that being values driven. Yeah. So instead of being driven by results, being driven by your values instead, and that values create results. And so in our company, our five top values are autonomy, justice, generosity, leadership, and legacy. And they actually mean something to us. We don't make any decisions about the business without filtering through those values. And if you do that consistently in your company, even if you're a company of one, okay, you will start to make better decisions about where you place your time, your energy, and your money, including where you invest your money in advice, in team, in tools, you know, in where you spend your time and especially where you expend your energy. So that's values. And I think that, you know, that's what makes our company different is we really center the strategy of the company around being values driven. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the first thing. The next thing is your archetype influence mix. We call it your aim. When I was in the corporate world, my first job in marketing was at Ogilvy, which is the biggest Mm -hmm. uh, advertising agency in the world. And also David Ogilvy is the godfather of all marketing and advertising, right? I was lucky to be a junior copywriter when I was 23 years old. Amazing. And I can tell you, Teresa, that really meant that I ran copy. Yeah. The account executives, I didn't do much writing, unfortunately, but, but I got to be a fly on the wall yeah. inside of their advertising meetings. And it was fascinating because really, as you know, as a marketing professional yourself, marketing is really the psychology of consumption. Yeah. That's really what it is. It's, yeah. it's studying how people consume things and then putting messages in front of them that will help them decide to consume it. Mm-hmm. And 
there's this process developed by social psychologist Carl Jung called archetypes. And he didn't do it through the lens of business, but advertising and marketing has adapted the archetype idea Mm -hmm. into a way to establish yourself as a different character in your audience's mind. Yeah. And we actually have an assessment that we do with our clients. And I learned that back at Ogilvy, but I created my own assessment over the course of the last 15 years that helps people identify what their archetype influence mix is. And it's it's the voice of your brand. And do you know what, Jen? I'm going to put a link to it because I did it and it was Uh great. It was so good. So I've come out as the creator. That was the one that I did. Um, So it was things like, you know, uh, storyteller, artist, visionary, pioneer, expression is your mission. I just haven't looked what else is on here. Like there was so much good things. So power words. And weirdly, I was just starting a rebrand and this oh. couldn't have come at more of a perfect time. So things like vision, creativity, imagination, no linear thought, no non-conformity, developed aesthetic. Like it really helped me start to go, do you know what? This is me and I'm not my brand wasn't showing up as I should be. Uh, and so we, we're just just about getting through it, as in we're not ready to launch it yet, but finalizing things. So it was great. So I'm definitely going to put a link in because it was really, really oh, helpful. Thank you. Oh, it's so exciting. I'm so glad to hear that because that's, I loved what I heard you say just now is that it helps center you, yes. you know, and really see a mirror of yourself. And when I say yourself, we were talking about personal brands earlier and people always get wait, should I grow my offer? Should I grow my, um, you know, my company? And I always say, you need to get to know yourself first Mm. because you are the founder. Apple is what it is today because Steve Jobs knew who he was. Whether you liked him or not, does it matter? He knew it. It's about that he knew who he was and what his vision was. Mm. And when you start to use this work to get so clear on the kind of leadership you want to be seen as, and not just you as a person, but as a brand and the products that you create, that's when you start to have strength. So the archetype assessment gives you insight mm. into who you are so that you can more confidently express what your company is, what it stands for. And that's, again, linked to your values. So yeah. when you put your values and your archetype together, it strengthens the confidence that you exude to the audience that you are marketing to. So that's yeah. the second piece. Yep. The third piece is what we call the story or the experience story sequence. It's called TESS, T-E-S-S. And what this means is that you're able to communicate two stories to the audience that you have or you're building. And that is the authority story and the approachability story. So your authority stories are the things that make you an authority in your industry. And by the way, it's not just your stories. It's facts and figures that perhaps are written about the industry you're in. So if any of you are starting out and you're like, oh my gosh, I have no authority stories. I don't even have clients yet. I always say, Mm -hmm. Well, you can do what I call, you can brand jack ethically data in the field. For example, uh, one of the things that we do really well in our company is we use live events to activate revenue and create brand recognition. And one of the statistics that's not my statistic is that the live event, even, even during the pandemic, obviously not in person, but when we had to go virtual, is a $300 billion industry. Now that's an authority story that I can tell mm. that's not mine. It's the industry, but it shows that, hey, if I teach you how to do that and create what we call a million dollar experience, then you have, now you've seated authority because it's not just your authority, it's other authority. Mm -hmm. There's this statistic out there. And I think more people aren't doing that. Another example of an authority story is case studies, right? Of your clientele. And so those are examples of authority stories, but including like, what's your education? You talked about, Teresa, you have this marketing background. You guys heard me tell an authority story when Teresa asked who I was. You know, I had 15 years in corporate. I had 15 years in entrepreneurship. Mm. So I have some experience, right? And I've said it just by sharing my story. When you're listening, some of you might hear that story and go, ooh, she might be too old to be my teacher. Some of you guys might hear that. I'm like, I'm okay with that because maybe you you just like to follow trends and fads. That's cool. But I really believe that the basics are sexy and that's what actually makes long-term success. For sure. Now, that's the authority story, right? Then there's the approachability story, which are your personal stories, technically. Those are the ones that, Teresa, you had mentioned, people get a little nervous to share, yeah. you know? Um, and I say this, not all stories are good to tell. It's not that your stories aren't great, mm-hmm. but they're not the best to tell. You want to pick your approachability stories that will serve the audience and let them see themselves in your story. 
You don't have to vomit on your audience every dang story of your life. Okay. Unless that's part of your brand. Yeah. Some celebrities and influencers, that's part of their brand to just be a hot mess. Yeah. Like, and, and, and it's okay because they're consistently a hot mess yeah. and that's the intrigue, right? But if you have a business like ours where, you know, we don't want people to think that we're completely unchanged and it's okay if you are, but it's yeah. like, I don't want, you know, I'm more like, I'll tell the stories about how I have two children. That's an, that's an approachability. I yeah. have three children. I had two children when I started my company. Now I have a, a third mm-hmm. that came after the fact. I talk about how I am, you know, I'm second married, you know, I got a divorce. Yeah, me too. These yeah. Help, the, yeah. These help your clients and signal to them, hey, you're a real human being. Yeah. You've been through some stuff and then they can see themselves inside of your story. Mm. Because here's the thing about your story. No one has them. That's what really sets you apart. No one has your story. People have similar stories, but they don't have yours. Yeah. And so it's really what makes you different. So it's very important to be able to tell them well. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. So the fourth thing is the unique solution expertise, which is basically, we call that the use case. So unique solution expertise, right? So the case for choosing your solution for themselves, the audience. And so many people aren't working off of a use case, meaning, well, like I say this, people buy your use case and the results you create with your use case. They don't buy your products or your programs. They're not buying your products or programs. They're buying again, Jen. So they're Mm -hmm. buying, they're buying your use case and the results that your use case solves for them. Yeah. They're not buying your product or service. Yes. No. So your use case, for example, I'm actually sharing one with you today. My unique message model Mm -hmm. is a use case for our company. It's why people hire us. Yeah. Because I can clearly articulate how these six things will change the way people see you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think a lot of people have not developed a use case that can communicate their value and show a visual uh, way for people to see the results they can get from that. Whether you are in the the four master niches, which are health, wealth, self, and relationships. Yeah. If you're in any of those, basically those are the four you need to be in. You could be products or services yeah. in any of the four, but you need to be able to communicate how your model or your framework yeah. or your method can support the results the people that you are talking to can achieve it. And I think a lot of people don't do this well. And so that's an important thing to refine. Mm. The next piece is obviously the irresistible offer. So yeah. you have to have something people want to buy. And that irresistible offer has to be in their mind what the use case has promised. Yeah. So if you're saying, hey, I have this way of doing things and this is going to produce results for you. The offer that you make to them needs to fit with that. They they need to be easily see that the offer you're making supports the use case you've presented. Yeah. Okay. And then finally, you need to be in a rich niche, meaning you need to be in a niche that people actually want what you have. Because if you're trying to sell to people who don't want what you have, which is another big problem, no one's ever going to buy it. It's my, it's my clear and present lesson from my brick and mortar days. I had a product that people wanted. Yeah. And so I had to figure everything else out to make that happen because I was like, Oh wait, you guys want to buy all this underwear? Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. You know, I was one of the, I was the first uh, small business to carry Spanx in Hawaii, in the Mm -hmm. whole state of Hawaii. I could not keep that product in stock. Yeah. I was the first to carry the Hanky Panky brand, which I don't know if you all are familiar, but it's to this day, it's the only underwear I wear because it is so freaking good. So technically I'm an underwear specialist expert. Yeah. Like you could, even though I no longer have that business, I know a lot about underwear. And mm. to this day, Hanky Panky is the brand. I tell every woman, you need to wear this, this underwear. It, yeah. is, it will last forever. It is amazing. It costs 20 bucks a pair, but it's worth it. Yeah. Um, and so my point is, is that I know where the money is. Yeah. And for my, I think for our clients and, and you know, because you're a marketing expert yourself, I think a lot of people go after uh, niches or they, or they go after markets that cannot bear what they, what they, what they're offering. They, mm. they can't bear the cost of it or they can't bear, or they don't understand it. Yeah. And so we're looking in the wrong, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. I like to say, yeah, yeah. so if you want to be successful, you need to look for, for your clients in all the right places. So those are the six ways for you to stand out yeah. and really be seen as the choice for the so audience good. that you have. So good, Jen, honestly, they're brilliant. And I think as, as you're talking me through this, 
Tomorrow, I am holding my first ever in-person event. And I am so excited, I can't even tell you. But what's really funny is... I like the finer things in life, Jen. I like, you know, like, so we flew first class, my husband and I, to uh, Nashville. And I got into first class and I was like, this is where I belong. Like, this is so me. And my husband got in and he was like, oh, this is so awkward. Like, he found it really uncomfortable. So I like really nice things. So when I was going to put on an event, it wasn't going to be your average conference speakers, uh, it wasn't going to be like in some kind of conference place with dry sandwiches and terrible coffee. So I've hired this boutique hotel in England. We've had I've hired the entire thing. It's exclusive use. We have got a champagne reception. We've got a beautiful three course dinner with wine. We've got a photographer coming doing things. I've got uh, and I can say this because by the point this goes out, we've already done it. Because obviously I'm not telling anybody anything. I've hired these like event set designers to create this beautiful sequin balloon wall thing like the goodie bags have really lovely quality stuff in it like you know like there's a lip balm in there and I know this sounds like silly just this lip balm but instead of it just being like a branded lip balm it's like Burt's Bees which is a really good quality product and everything that's all the stuff that I've created it hasn't got my brand on it because who wants to walk around with a tote bag with my name on the side? So mm-hmm. they're like inspirational messages and cool things. And it's, and as you're talking about all these things, it's like, I can see how that is fitting in with the steps that you've just said. The values are entirely me. You know, that is the type of person I am. I'm putting on an event that I would want to go to, you know, it fits really in with my archetype because it's very creative and slightly different how we do it here in the UK. Um, Talking about kind of the unique aspects of it. And it's like, yeah, it's super unique because it's not your average conference, you know, and then the fact of how I'm going to deliver it and how the fact it will all come together tomorrow and be amazing and all this sort of stuff. So it's really interesting to, and I feel so happy about it. Like, and, and the new brand as well, like, everything just feels like, oh, that's me. That's so me. And I think whereas before I was trying to like not hide my character or the fact that I like finer things in life. And, and I've, I came from a really poor family and, and I've worked really flipping hard and do not get me wrong. I am nowhere near where I want to be yet, but we certainly do. Okay. And, and I, and now it feels like I'm finally getting into that and going, no, this is why I'm different. This is, I'm not just someone else who's going to check on a conference and this thing. It's going to be amazing. Like, oh my gosh, sounds great. Honestly. It sounds amazing. So I mean, you're signaling, first of all, congratulations. And it, it warms my heart to see another woman really own who she wants to be seen as, not just who you are, but you're signaling, Hey, this is me. This is who I am. This is what our company stands for. And that way it's clear, it's actually kind to be clear to the audience that we're attracting. And even if it's like people will call you bougie and say, you know, oh, the ticket price was too high, whatever. There's always going to be haters, right? There is. And I always say, you know, there are so many other offers for them. Yeah. You know, there are so, it doesn't mean that it's lesser than for them to choose another route. You're just not into you know, what you've got going on and they're going to have their own trauma and trigger response to it. And I can't manage that. All I can manage is that I feel happy and joyous. And that means that I will continue to do it because that's what about, that's what being values driven is about. You're being values driven right now because you're going to continue to be sparked up and excited to do the next thing. And then the next thing, and the next thing, instead of feeling defeated and tired from your business, because that's also, I think, what happens with a lot of women. That's why they, they'll do the escape route, I call it, and try to be like, oh, if I can just think and manifest my way to being rich. And I'm kind of like, okay, I think that manifesting is a real thing. Absolutely. Yeah, but, but I don't believe it. Ha- but I don't call it manifesting. I don't call it manifestation. I call it manifest action. Yeah. Okay, being values-driven requires you to manifest through action yeah. by deciding how you want to be seen. And it's not inauthentic. It's, it's very real. It's only inauthentic when you manufacture it to look like other people's or yeah. because what you think people will like. 
And I think you got to trust yourself mm. and, and then be good at marketing, frankly, because it, you know, you can also be, um, the most creative person in the world, mm-hmm. but if you don't understand how to position and market yourself, it's people are just going to stumble upon your brand. Yeah. You have to invite them and you need to help them find you easily. So I'm excited for you. And live events, as I said earlier, are like to me, the biggest activation points for your brand. Yeah. If done well, and it sounds like you're going to be having an amazing event. Oh. And I'm actually grateful that you're still doing this podcast today. <laughs> a day before the event, I would never be on a podcast. <laughs> I would be <laughs> resting because there's a lot of service involved in a live event. Maybe yeah. I'm just a little bit, uh, maybe I'm not aware what tomorrow is going to bring, but because yeah. it's just me, because it's we're doing it like a mastermind. So the content all's me, that's fine. We've done a lot of planning, like everything. I've got this big list of things. I've got everything by the front door to take with me tomorrow. We've got a timetable. And so fingers crossed it all goes off. But I think, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for people to see and to show it on social media and go, look, if you like this, you belong here. This is the place to be. Jen, you have been so fabulous. So much good stuff. I really appreciate you coming on. Where do you hang out most that people can come and say hi to you, Jen? Yeah. So I think Instagram is my favorite place. So please follow me on Instagram at jennifer.com. In terms of DMing me or messaging me, it's where you're actually going to be able to have a conversation with me. All my other platforms, I'm on all all platforms. I'm on Facebook. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. Those are also, LinkedIn is one of my other favorite places to be. And then I have a YouTube channel where every week I publish a training video around this concept that we talked about today. Mm. And, but Instagram, jennifer.com. And then obviously you're going to uh, post the brand archetype quiz. I will. And I think that will help a lot of people get insight on their archetype as we discussed. So. It's great. It's a great quiz. Jen, thank you so very much. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for inviting me. It's been so fun. There we go. That was the very lovely Jen. Now I should say, but I'm sure you got the gist of it, that obviously because I batch record, that was recorded before the rebrand. So that was actually ages ago. This is like one of the things about batch recording. And I think I talked about it in the episode where I talked about did I do it on an episode? I'm sure I did when I talked about like the benefits and and like downsides of batching. And one is that like, obviously when you batch, the time it actually comes out, you know, some time has passed, which obviously for most things is not a problem. But when I say, oh, my new brand's coming, <laughs> you've already seen it. It's gone. I'm sorry. The excitement's over. Okay. I will link up to everything in the show notes, all her stuff. So do go and check her out. Oh, and I should also say that the reason she came on the podcast is because I DM'd her. And I just said, I've just listened to your podcast and she immediately got back to me and we had a conversation and she was super lovely. So do tag her in in some posts. I know she'll love to see it. All right. I will see you next week for another solo episode. Until then, have a very wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening to Your Dream Business Podcast. And if you loved this episode, then please feel free to go and share it on your social media or head over to iTunes and give me a review. I would be so very grateful. 